Flying Casuals brought to you by Patreon supporters Brent, Kelly Breckner, Jory Webb, Wes Anderson, David Bush, and Nate Edison. May the force be with you. All right, welcome, casual fam. This is our second Holly's Hiking Space Happy Hour. Thank you. Celebration music. Celebration music. It goes on too long. I can't play it. Okay. So we won't play the celebration music. No. Um, Sorry, this one had to get a little bit postponed. I think that we all know there's been a lot going on. Did you Um, not read the book? Is that what it was, Holly? I actually did read the book. Okay. I read the book very quickly. Uh, Just checking. Did you read the book, Michael? Uh, It was probably two years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be of no use to this discussion. Might have even been three. When did this come out? Uh, probably, yeah. 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 And it's two years ago. Jory saying two. Two. So, as everybody can see, we are not doing a big in-house production today because we are actually listening to the advice of the CDC. That's right. So we're practicing social distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were in my space a few minutes ago. I was in your space a few minutes yes. ago. Please so try to stay on the other side of the table. So does social distancing <laughs> apply to people who... Are around each other all the time? Right. I think so. Like, let me ask these guys. Like, Jory, do you stay away from your kids? Or, I mean... Uh, I mean, if, if we're supposed to, I'm screwed because uh, my kids have been all over me just night and day. Um, like, I, since I've been I've been laid off anyways, but since the whole social distancing, they haven't went to daycare in like two weeks now. So it's been pretty much just nonstop with the kiddos and, and the wife's been home. She had an extended weekend. So it's been a lot. It's been a lot. See, we know Luke's been home with his kids. That's right. Someone has yeah, been I couldn't get away from them if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like, sorry, honey, the, the at-home remote access just ain't working. Looks like I got to go in. Eight hours to myself. No, because then you have to deal with other things. Just stay at home. Absolutely. Stay at home, folks. Absolutely. Um, so, mm-hmm. Paige and Nate, how are you guys practicing your social distancing? Uh, well, I haven't left the house other than I went to Walgreens for five minutes last Saturday. Uh, came immediately home, and I've been down in my cave ever since. Nice. And I'm avoiding my family as much as possible. Nice. That works. So, Sounds like know. this house. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Nate. I mean, I live alone, so it ain't too hard for me. See, <laughs> we all have coping mechanisms. Uh, Nettie, are you gaming any during this time? So I uh, I fired up the update for Battlefront, so I, you may see me on there tonight or tomorrow. Nice, definitely have to hop on. Absolutely. I've been playing that new Animal Crossing that came out. So. Oh, <laughs> see, I I haven't even tried it yet. Everybody keeps posting like their codes on Facebook, and I'm like, what is this? Yeah, a bunch it's of nerds. I wish I had a switch. I don't. Ugh, that's okay. We have a switch. We do. Not Animal Crossing though. Nope. But that's okay. It's okay. Well, so thank you everybody for calling and joining in. Um. We would love to have you here in person, but I guess next time. Next time. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but so, if you're here or if you're listening, then hopefully you read Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Mm. Um, that was a novel that we chose to read for the last month. Um, so another good young adult novel by Claudia Gray. 
So I kind of wanted to start off by asking everybody, kind of like we did last time, what did you guys think of it? Um, Luke? Oh, I'm first up. You're first up. <laughs> All right. Sorry, well, guys. I'm going in order oh, of yeah. how I see people it's on the screen. It's the Brady screen. Bunch here on the screen. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. Well, I had the pleasure of reading this one a couple of years ago, uh, and I think this is uh, there's four Claudia Gray books so far, and going into a re-listen to it this time around, I was thinking this was kind of my third favorite of her four, I think. Um, but then you get into it, and it's amazing how good her th her third best is. And uh, it's a lot more intense than I remembered the first go around. Mm -hmm. like the, the drama is uh, is really intense at moments, and it's high stakes through through a, a good portion of it just like one scene after the other. So it's, it was really enjoyable to go through a second time uh, and get a, a little bit deeper insight this time around. So uh, I think she's dethroned Timothy Zahn as the premier Star Ooh. Wars author. Uh, you know, Zahn was the king of the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, but Claudia Gray, I don't think, can be touched right now. Yeah, I think that sounds true. I think she was... Uh, very prominent at the last Star Wars celebration and all the authors panels. I think she was in the front and spoke the most and had the most questions. Yeah, um, the most fans. The most fans. Mm -hmm. Lots of people very excited. Uh, Paige, you also listened to the audiobook for not mm -hmm. the first time. Yeah, I was listening to this when you first came over and talked to me about the podcast. So I listened to it again. Um, I liked it better a second time because I kind of space out a little bit the first time and I agree with Luke I mean it's really action-packed at certain points and I like I mean I'm a big Padme person like I'm wearing a Padme shirt like, yes. right now. Um, so and I'm a big Leia person I have a huge Leia tattoo on my leg so I was really excited to nice. listen to it again um, so I, I thought it was really in character which was good because um, Leia can be kind of tricky um, to carry, which I have a problem with in some of the newer movies. Um, and I liked all of the Padme callbacks too, which was really great. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the stuff um, from Naboo kind of gets touched on a little bit in the Padme novel too, which is good. So I liked all of that kind of stuff. I'm a big prequels person too. So yeah. all of that kind of stuff <laughs> was really great. Like the celebration dress, I was really jazzed about. So yeah. I think nice. that yeah, was yeah. like yeah. everything. You so. You reference Queen's Shadow there. There's um, mm -hmm. which is the Padme book by E.K. Johnston, and there's like a prequel to that coming mm -hmm. out this year. Uh, so that's yeah, I'm so stoked. Cool. Yeah. So, I liked it. I thought it was great. Ten out of ten would recommend. See, that's good. So the second mm -hmm. book was a hit. See, so far we're good. <laughs> uh, Nate, you're here. <laughs> What did you think of... Um, maybe muted. Maybe muted. What did you think of Leia? <laughs> yep. Like <laughs> unmuted. See, I definitely enjoyed it. Say, I kind of started out and thought it was a little bit slow and not exactly what I was looking for, but it definitely picked up towards the end, I would say, and I ended up enjoying it pretty much or pretty well. Um, I will say I think I like Bloodline by Claudia Gray with Leia a little bit better, but yep. I still thought it was a really solid book, so... Yeah, I think Bloodline is another one that I have to read, and maybe oh, yeah. down the line we'll read it mm -hmm. for the book club because I think that it will be interesting to see Claudia Gray writing Leia in two very different stages of her life. Um, so I'm kind of excited to get into that one. So I haven't read that one yet, um, but I am looking forward to that. 
Jory? I thought it was great. Um, the uh, I just kind of like echoing what Luke just said. Um, that that Claudia Gray is by far and away, I think, just the the queen of Star Wars right now. Um, I don't know if I can think of anybody better at all. Like even you know Ryan Johnson or or even uh, JJ at the moment. That I just think that what she does and and how she does it is is pretty amazing. Um, uh, but the book for me, I, I thought it was fantastic. I listened to it twice and actually was a third time through just because I enjoyed it so much and just wanted to make sure, you know, had a little bit of extra knowledge coming into this. But uh, it, it is a fantastic book. Yeah. So, okay. So three of you listened to it on audiobook. Nate, you read the actual mm-hmm. physical copy, right? I did, yes. I wonder how different that experiences because I feel like in my mind when I'm reading a book I like give my characters their own voice and I hear things being said a certain way and so oh, yeah. I think that Luke and I have talked about this before how the audiobook kind of gives you a different um, interpretation of what's going on in the novels how did that how did that come through with all the action scenes when you were hearing it happen through the narrator the narrator did a pretty good job of giving most everybody a unique voice it was the same narrator throughout and she does kind of different accents and definitely i think i felt the drama more listening to it uh the second time versus reading it because uh, you know they add in some of the soundtrack and, and the the narrators do a really good job of delivering the dialogue uh, so i think that maybe increased the the feel of the drama doing the, the audio experience this time around yeah i agree the one thing I had a problem with when I was listening to it a second time, because um, I'm a big soundtrack person too, um, they were playing the Luke and Leia music um, during a specific scene that I don't think they should have been playing the Luke and Leia music for. It was a little uncomfortable um, with uh, Leia and the boyfriend. I was like, okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe not the best choice, but like, okay, like go off. That's fine. It's out there. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's like... I listen to a lot of audiobooks now because it's just kind of hard for my eyes to focus on text. So it's like a movie for your ears is what I describe yeah. it to, to my friends who are like, I wouldn't listen to an audiobook. So I like it a lot better than reading books, but I also buy the books too, just to have them. So, yeah. Something that I really enjoyed about this novel is that when I was reading it, I could kind of hear Carrie Fisher's voice saying Mm -hmm. the things that Princess Leia was saying in the book. Um, And I felt like the way that Claudia Gray wrote it was very true to the way that Carrie Fisher played Princess Leia in the movies, Um, especially Mm -hmm. episode four. I just felt like it kind of went really nicely right into how we see Princess Leia act in episode four with, you know, her actions and the way she carries herself and just kind of that confidence that we see her gain throughout the novel. Um, so that was something that I really enjoyed a lot about this book is just how much I felt like it did tie into her character in the movies. Yeah, I felt like at first she was a lot more um, like impulsive than we see her. I think she's mm-hmm. a little more calculated by the time of the original mm-hmm. trilogy and like more composed. And here she's all like angsty teenager. So it was kind of interesting to get that it's uh, really perspective in. Oh, sorry, Luke. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I just was going to say it's really interesting that 
that the events too only happened three years after this. So, you know, she did a lot of growing mm -hmm. up in that very short, you know, period of time. And granted, I mean, when we look back, even, you know, we do notice that we grow up pretty quickly, you know, uh, even just you look at yourself three years ago from now and you're like, man, you yeah. know, I was doing some things, maybe not doing things, but you know, the way you see life and see things, you know, yourself. Um, but I thought it was, it was extremely well done is like Luke said, you know, she was really angsty and, and very impulsive. And then, you know, we see her in a new hope and it's, it's a completely different, I wouldn't say completely different, but you know, she's grown up a lot in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we have this book and it starts off. So what's happening? We do see a more angsty Leia, right? She's just very concerned about her parents not really paying that much attention to her. And, um, you know, she's going through this program that Brea set up. Um, and we just kind of see her focus is on she wants to impress her parents. She's getting ready to um, have an event where basically she's going to prove that she is able to take over if anything would happen to her mom, right, that she can be the next queen of Alderaan. Um, so we kind of see that's where her worries are at that point, and that's, like, really what she's so concerned about, right? Um, and then we kind of see that change later in – a little bit down the road when she starts questioning everything that's going on when she meets up with the other people and the other ambassadors really and they start going through these challenges where she has to prove herself right um what did you guys think about the different challenges that they had so they had um i think the one that they talked about the most was she was excited to kind of do the physical challenges the ones where she had to go out and like climb the mountain and i think that was something that she really felt connected through her mom right Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Uh, Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I didn't ask the right question. No, that was a good question. <laughs> what were some of the other challenges that she... I don't even, I, I, it's been so yeah. long since there I There was the I one the with like, the, the mudslide happened. I remember that one. Yeah, well, I think the payoff for a lot of the physical challenge, other than adding drama for the different scenes where they are in some like physical danger, the big payoff is towards the end. And when they hint at it early on that her mother did the same sort of physical challenge for her coronation. Uh, but then the, that end scene where she, she ascends to the peak with her mom and you get the final explanation of why she has the like artificial heart and lungs mm -hmm. that get referenced so much throughout the book. I think that was really nice uh, sort of payoff to that whole thing because you're, reading it the first time you don't know like what that's all about and, and it's a weird like little physical detail about uh, Brea that she's uh, has that um, sort of impairment in a way uh, and then it to, to hear that she you know went through you know a life-threatening event for her uh, trial kind of lets you know how serious the the royal family of Alderaan takes that you know that's not just oh yeah just go climb a hill and you'll you get to be queen. It's, you know, you really have to challenge yourself and, and prove yourself. Um, yeah. And I think, um, one of the other challenges that kind of added to the drama and really kicked us off was when she had to do her first, um, humanitarian mission. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so, and that's also something that was kind of fun that Luke and I were talking about. That's where we kind of start to see another planet other than Alderaan, um, where do we go? We go to Wobani, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And we see that there she comes across a bunch of different prison camps that seem to have a lot of people in really poor conditions. And she kind of gets this very Princess Leia-esque idea that she's going to make her parents proud of her and bring all of these people back to Alderaan with her, right? And then we see that that mission doesn't really go very well. It's bold. It is very bold. But I think, you know, that's kind of where we see she is naive, but she also has, you know, that very strong will to do the right thing and to help everybody out. Okay, we're back after some really intense technical Ooh. difficulties. Yeah. But at least it wasn't a case of Michael not hitting the record button. Hey, that was a good <laughs> one, Holly. That's funny. Now the jokes are coming out. Where was that in the first yeah. minute? Anyway. All right. So we're going to jump right back into um, Wobani. Um, that's where we are now. That's where Leia is doing her first humanitarian mission. I think um, Luke. Yeah, well, Bonnie, uh, first little Easter egg is that's the planet that Jin is on at the beginning mm -hmm. of Rogue One when she is in the prison camp. And it mentions in the book how um, the Empire's taken over large parts of the planet to establish some prison colonies. So I thought that was a nice little touch that it wasn't just some random planet that had a connection to one of the movies because uh, those are always nice to see. Uh, and then from there, I don't know if anyone else thought of this. There's, I think a lot of you have seen most, if not all, of Rebels. And it, the way she kind of pulled one over on the Imperial officer mm -hmm. uh, made me think of there's a Rebel episode where she is trying to pass off those three cruisers to the Rebel cells, uh, but not make it seem like she's aiding the rebellion because she, you know, is still trying to like have some cover because she's a part of the Senate. Um, that's a great Rebels episode when she kind of you know does similar things to kind of trick mm -hmm. uh, one of the Imperial officers uh, and, and make sure that the Rebels get the three cruisers. Uh, so it made me think of that, and that was another nice uh, tie-in to this scene. Yeah. What, what was that, Princess on Lothal? Is that the one where she goes yeah. to Lothal? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I really – you guys know me, and I love Rebels, and I still haven't finished it yet, but um, – I thought about that Princess Leia a lot when I was kind of reading towards the end of this book where you start to kind of see her gain a little bit more confidence. And I actually also thought about that episode um, and just how, like, cunning she is because she's very smart. She's a very smart Star Wars character, and she can quick, quick, she can think very quickly. Um, and I think that we kind of see that, how she gets that from her parents and the way that her mom is, too. Um, but, Luke, I love that reference because I thought about that as well. Um, I think another planet that we see in the book um, that we also see um, in the movies is Crate, right? Uh, that's a planet that comes up in yeah. The Last Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was kind of fun. Not so much really, I guess, an Easter egg per se, but just another reference. Um, this book came out before The Last Jedi, so that's, it's part of the journey to Last Jedi, right? So I think that that's kind of a fun way that she kind of set us up for that. Um, I guess while we're talking about Easter eggs, um, something else that I saw some people were talking about after they read the book was there's a scene, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but there's a scene towards the end of the book where um, she's trying to catch a ship, right? 
because she's really got to go. Um, and she's trying to track down anybody who will take her off of Alderaan. Or was she on Coruscant or Alderaan? Yeah, she was on Coruscant. Okay, thank you. Yeah, she's on Coruscant. And I think that she kind of mentioned seeing a ship that looks like it was in very dire needs of repair. Um, and she mm-hmm. tried to catch it, but it flew away. Did any of you guys think while you were reading it that that was Han Solo? I kind of did. be hinting at it. Yeah. Was it Lando yeah, taken off uh, after they did the Kessel Run? I mean... Especially because they mentioned that it is an old YT freighter, and uh-huh. she says that it needs... Uh, I, I actually have a whole list of uh, Easter eggs that I thought was pretty sweet, but um, I definitely had that one down. And she said that... Uh, <clears throat> that it said it looked like it needed part or money for parts. Yeah, which we know it's a piece of garbage, right? Mm-hmm. That's the running joke that we have, and they didn't say it here, but I think it's kind of fun. When Jory, what else do you have? Um, I mean, this is—it's kind of all over the place with mine. Um. When she visits Naboo, um, she said that she has a sense of sadness and she can't really put her finger on it and doesn't really know why. Um, Another one, um, Queen Dalne gives her a dress that looks a lot or that sounds a lot like the uh, dress from the end of uh, Phantom Menace, um, the the one that she wore at the celebration um, of Naboo. and then uh, Karash Panaka, which I don't know if we were going to get into that, which mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, he definitely knows or has mm-hmm. figured out who she is. Um, and then, uh, you know, then he's killed by Sagarera's forces. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure we all are aware of who he is, but just in case somebody who doesn't know, um, that was uh, Queen Amidala's uh, security captain. Um, and then he became a moth, which is a legends thing that I found out when I looked up. I did not know that. Um, that was something that I did not read in legends, but um, it's apparently the first time that it's mentioned in uh, in canon that he did indeed become a moth. So I guess... Yeah, I think that's a great... Yeah. It's a great example of the way that... Uh, how deep like Claudia Gray's knowledge of, and I think how well she plays in the spaces in between the movies that she's allotted for these books. And I think a lot of the authors you can tell sometimes feel claustrophobic by the way that the movies um, box them in, in the little slice they're given to write a book. And Claudia Gray seems like revel in it. And she creates this wonderful tension in that Panaka scene where you as the, the reader, the star Wars fan know who he is and know what connections he's drawing that Leia could be Padme's daughter and then to think, oh, no, where's this going to lead if he tells the, the emperor of his suspicion and then to have him knocked off also by by Saul's partisans, which is just another connection. So she's layering in these connections and playing in that space. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk about that scene. Um, so, Jory, that was a really great segue you bring that up because um, I think that's also a scene that Paige and I had a conversation about mm-hmm. outside of it. Um Paige, what did you think about when she put the dress on and he kind of saw her for the first time and kind of started to question who she was? I mean, I was sitting there and I was like, 
he literally figures it out like five to ten minutes who she is um how dumb are the emperor and um darth vader <laughs> that they can't figure this out like i it like it just boggles my mind that they can't figure any of this out because padme was good friends with bail she obviously knew brea like they look very similar i mean I just thought it was funny. I think it was really funny. Um, and how panicked he was and how he like thought he had like good goss to give the emperor. And then he just um, gets blown up. I mean, I thought that was pretty fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also kind of starts asking like, how old are you? Mm-hmm. When, how many years ago yeah, were it was you born? Kinda, it was creepy. <laughs> and she definitely felt uncomfortable. And I think that there's a scene later, like after all that happens and she talks to Breha about it and she kind of like brings it up. Like what a weird, like what an odd interaction that I had. And I think that there's a lot mm-hmm. of concern there and it kind of shows like how quickly like people actually can figure out possibly like who she is, like where she comes from. Yeah. And Brea was like, he asked you what? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's funny that you guys you guys took it that way because I took it in a completely different way, and it's just a, you know it's funny how different people view it differently. Um, because I thought he seemed rather genuine, <clears throat> and maybe that was because of the way it was portrayed in the audiobooks, um, which Paige you listened to it that way as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Luke thought the same, but I thought he seemed a little genuine as to you know figuring out who she was and then I don't know if he would have turned her in I mean it kind of seems like you know there's a good possibility um but in the same you know I guess we'll never know because uh they even talked about how that they thought Panaka was the best candidate for them to bring in maybe not into the rebellion but to negotiate with um you know on, on their terms when it speaks to I'm, this is Mike. I'm off camera now because we had some uh, <laughs> buffering issues. But it, he's it also speaks to his dedication to the Empire, right? And and Naboo mm-hmm. because he was solely dedicated to the princess or the the queen at the mm-hmm. time, right? Uh, her mother. And now it's just like you're completely, you know turning your back on her and her family now to tell the emperor this information. I re- this is a few years ago that I, re- I read this, this, this book, and that, that moment sticks out to me, and the way it was written, I mean, I obviously know that the emperor doesn't find out about this, but I found myself, oh, my God, what's he going to do with this? It's like, and then it just kind of really has to die or something has to happen, but the way <laughs> she wrote it and took a character that we, we know about, we know – you know what he's capable of but we really don't care about him it was really i don't know why immediately i was just taken aback i was like oh my god he knows this what's he gonna do and then yeah, yeah. So it, but it was i don't know i really really enjoyed that part like luke said uh taking someone that we really never would have thought would have been discussed again in my opinion panaka and and throw him into such an important moment um it's pretty crazy pretty crazy. yeah well jory i do i do think when i was reading it um at first, I thought just because the way that they talk him up and, you know, the queen is saying, you know, he he's loyal to his planet and he wants what's best for his planet and the people on his planet. So he would be their best chance at getting the resources and the answers that they need. Right. And so I don't think that 
at that time, as we're reading it, you don't think that he would do something like sinister, but then at the same time, everyone's out kind of to get on the good side of the empire and make sure that Mm -hmm. their planet is taken care of by the empire if anything else goes down. So I kind of feel like if you want to look at it, maybe I'll play devil's advocate, I guess, from his perspective, like, would I turn her in? I don't know. I think that's a, that's an extra part of the tension. It, Claudia Gray writes that like he is a good person at heart, but he's also very loyal to, the, to Palpatine because he owes a lot to Palpatine. He owes yep. his mm-hmm. like station as a moth to Palpatine. So I think that that's part of the tension is no, this this is a good guy, but he he would discuss this with the emperor. Like, oh, this is interesting. He wouldn't do it, I think, to make something knowing something bad could happen to her, he would just do it like, oh, this yeah. is really interesting. Remember, like, uh, Padme? You know, I think she had a kid. That's that's weird. Mm-hmm. What about you, Nettie? What do you think? Uh, I don't know if I can add too much to it. Definitely enjoyed the situation. Say I've always liked the character of Panaka, as minor as he was. But, so I definitely thought it was really cool to see him come back in any form. Yeah, I, and I think... Has anyone else... Sorry, go ahead, Luke. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else has heard this. I heard, you know, uh, when Attack of the Clones comes around, you have Captain Typho instead of Captain Panaka. And I think I heard the only reason it wasn't Panaka in Attack of the Clones is because the actor uh, didn't want to return. Does anyone else heard, heard that? Oh, That's what mm-hmm. I read as well, but I don't know, you know, how accurate that is. Um, but yeah, that, just that was the only explanation get... I had, too. Yeah, it's interesting to give the character a new life, even though the the actor or didn't return or for whatever reason they, they switched the character in attack of the clones. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I haven't heard that either, but I, I kind of feel like there's all kinds of different fun facts that go along with this book. Um, he saw episode one. He's like, God, never. I'm out again. Like I can't do it again. (laughs) How dare you, Mike? How dare you? (laughs) Well, what other, what other characters though are making that decision when the empire comes around, you know? Cause I mean, the Empire is in charge. The, yeah. Palpatine just took over in a matter of moments and runs everything. So, I mean, what would we do mm-hmm. in that situation? Like you said, yeah. Holly, like it's your only source of like recognition. Is there is no Senate anymore, essentially? So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, there is, but like, what power? I am the Senate. Yeah. See, and that's the problem, <laughs> right? What power? What power do they actually have? But yet they still have to go through the motions, which I think was. Um, Another thing that that scene that we just discussed kind of did really well, it kind of shows you like the grip that Palpatine has on everybody and how they were kind of put between a rock and a hard place because they have to, you know, give him what he wants if they want to stay alive, essentially. Jory, you had something? No, I just think that it really connects well with two at the end of the book with um, with Kier because he had the choice to make as well. I mean, it's pretty much the same choice. You know, is it? It's between his planet and um, mm-hmm. and the, and the rebellion, and so um, it, it's hard to say what Panaka would have done because Kier would have, you know, I don't know if we want to get into the end of the book already, but Kier was going to turn them in. So um, you know, it is it is hard to say, and and even with Kier's you know point of view, he supposedly loved Leia, and you know, and Panaka is in a in a position to where. You know, he may have loved um, Padme, but, you know, what does he have for, you know, feelings for her kids and, and things like that, the people that he doesn't even know? 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. And we can keep running with that maybe. Um, so we get introduced to this apprentice legislature, right? Um, that Leia is a part of, and it's her first encounter with other people that are her age. Um, and that's where we kind of start to see that, you know, she might be a little, maybe that's why she's a little bit more mature the way that we read her in the book, because she spent a lot of time around adults. She spent a lot of time around adults who are making hard decisions and who are in positions of power. And they kind of, you know, weave that into her life. And now we see her interacting with other people her age and we meet two other characters that kind of stick with us throughout this book and another one kind of throughout the movie. So we meet Amelyn Holdo and mm -hmm. like Jory brought up um, here. So I kind of think that we can kind of get into those characters a little bit more because those are two very important people in this book. So we can start with Kier, um, and that's somebody who she kind of started to get along with, maybe had a little bit of romance with. Um, did anybody else pick up on when she was having a conversation, Leia was having a conversation with her mom, and she was kind of talking about Kier a little bit, and her mom kind of got kind of like on her level a little bit and was like, you know, I thought that it would be good if your first love was like a little bit of a scoundrel. Um, I don't know if you guys picked mm -hmm. up on that. Um, yeah, Nate's saying, yeah. Um, so I kind of thought that that was a fun quote because when we think of Princess Leia and her love interest, who do we think of? Han Solo. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Kosterfo, but yeah, that's another book. <laughs> that's another book that Holly hasn't read I, yet. Yeah, that went okay. right over right my Right over her head. Um, so what that's else? Yeah. One of the Easter eggs I had noted too. So I like, you know, we talked about that, Holly, I think when we were both in the middle of the book that's another great one uh that that line of scoundrel because that is so associated with with han uh that's a, another just the brilliance of claudia gray to throw in all these the whole book is just peppered with them she's so connected with mm -hmm. with all the lore i know i have a lot of them written down like jory said that he did i like have quite a few others that i really liked um yeah. but go, going on haldo i think it adds a lot of weight to her decision in The Last Jedi to, to place so much trust in Haldo that she goes this far back with her in her connection and how in these strenuous, stressful moments that Haldo's there for her and helps her. It helps you to understand you know, that she, when she's incapacitated in The Last Jedi that it's Haldo that the command falls to. Yeah, absolutely. Paige, I think that you were very excited to see Haldo come yeah. up in the book. Um, yeah. So why was that? Um, the loaded I mean, question. I didn't really, what? Well, yeah, kind of. Um, I didn't really like her a ton when last year that came out because um, we didn't really know a lot about her. But then when I read the book, um, I got excited first off because she's uh, extremely weird. Um, she's like the Luna Lovegood of the Star Wars universe. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Thank God and, someone saw um, that. <laughs> And it's like she's a good friend for Leia because she teaches Leia not to judge people mm -hmm. by their appearances. And Leia kind of teaches her to calm down, which is they're good friends for each other. Um, but also she's kind of queer, which I love personally. There's not enough of <laughs> queer things in Star Wars. Um, that kiss wasn't enough. I'm sorry. That was nothing. <laughs> um, not, not to be that person. 
But, um, I mean, she's just very open with herself, and she's very free, and she's a good person, and I just really like her a lot. I think she's a sweet person, and she makes the best decisions for the moment based on her own sense of morality, which I think is different than probably Leia's sense of morality, which is good. Yeah, I think that they balance each other out really well. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that there were quite a few things that Holdo said throughout the book that, like, she was built up to be this really, like, odd, quirky character, right? And then she has these moments where she's just, like, very level-headed and, like, very sensible. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, wow. And I think that's... She's so smart. Yeah, you were kind of alluding to that. Where she, like, would talk Leia down, right? Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I don't feel like, I don't know, I don't know what you guys think, but I don't really feel like we get really that quirky side of her in the movies as much as we did in the book. Um, So I don't know if you guys think maybe she just grew out of it or that's just not part of the character that they decided to take on, but... I thought that actually could have been very effective if they would have made her a little more quirky, but then again, taking her as, like, the person in command would have... That would have been difficult to believe, but to have someone who's yeah. kind of quirky, who's in charge, but then makes the ultimate sacrifice in the way she did, I feel like that would have been very just, like, stunning. But um, I wasn't a huge fan of, of Laura Dern playing her. I, I love Laura Dern. I just I didn't believe it. I don't know why. I usually believe Laura Dern, and I didn't believe it in that role. Um, so maybe someone a little more quirky would have been better for me, but I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, she was very serious in I mean, that role. No, I agree completely, Part Mike, because, oh, sorry, Luke, <laughs> of course, Skype decides to make us cut <laughs> each other off again. Everybody needs to raise their hands. <laughs> right? Raise their hands. But, uh, no, I agree completely, Mike, because uh, with Laura Dern, like, honestly, so so my interpretation of Holdo, it, and the only reason I even knew that she was supposed to be quirky was because I read that um, when mm-hmm. I watched The Last Jedi, because in The Last Jedi, Laura Dern plays her more... I mean, she's eccentric with, you know, how she dresses and her hair and things like that. But um, but the quirkiness, you don't really get that at all from Laura Dern. And yeah. and we don't know how that she was told to be portrayed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't know the behind the scenes of it because I think Laura Dern's a fantastic actress. But <clears throat> but we didn't really get a lot of like like the the oddness i guess you'd say you know from from her in the last jedi and granted the last jedi was a very serious time you know for her the entire time she was on screen um so maybe that kind of plays into it but um if you didn't know if you like me like this was the first time that i had read this book um if you didn't know that you would have no clue why you know why people are thinking that yeah, and people mature in different ways and mm-hmm. stuff, so maybe she kind of grew out mm-hmm. of that. But they are very starkly different characters, and, and I don't know if I would say Leia is that different. So maybe something happened, she matured more, or, you know, some big well, life I, event. I think it'd be fascinating to know, like, what notes Ryan Johnson, mm-hmm. you know, passed to Claudia Gray yeah. uh, for writing these books. Because you have to figure, you know, the, the people at, like, Lucasfilm Publishing – are passing information to these writers as they're writing, you know, a book that's part of the journey to the last Jedi. And I think Jory is exactly right. And part of the eccentricity was just trying to, trying to be conveyed in the film via her dress. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because everybody else, you know, she's a military leader and she shows up with purple hair mm-hmm. and an evening gown. Yeah. And it's like, what? This is a, the way a military leader dresses. I know we had Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi in a row, but she was yeah. more, she wasn't so much the military leader of the rebellion. Uh, she was sort of an, a, a spiritual head, a, a figurehead sort of uh, who could you know, draw people in with the way that she could convey the message of the rebellion, but she wasn't the military leader. Uh, you had people in more military dress, like General mm-hmm. Crix Maydeen and in those people, and Akbar, you know, who look more militaristic. But Haldo shows up with like jewelry and purple hair and a dress, and you're like, this isn't very, you know, military. And I think another thing that I took as a connection to the a Haldo, and I almost said Luna Lovegood. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yes, everyone's. I'm not alone. <laughs> the the Haldo we see in the in the book connects to me to the Haldo in the Last Jedi in that she's like a bit aloof and in her own mm-hmm. head, I think, too mm-hmm. much, where she has a little bit of trouble connecting with people. Like throughout mm-hmm. the pathfinding, she always jumps in with these like random thoughts that nobody else is thinking of, and everyone's like, "Where did you get that from?" Yeah. So I think. I don't, I don't blame Poe entirely for what happens in the Last Jedi. I think obviously Haldo could have done a better job, of of being more transparent with him about what was going on, and it could have maybe avoided the whole mutiny thing. And I think that's just part of her like aloofness, it being conveyed. It's not as uh, direct as in the book. And maybe she experienced something similar to Poe. Maybe know? we just need a Haldo book. I'd be down. Or yes, like a please. series. Right? I'd also be down to see yes. Akbar in a gorgeous evening gown as well. So Why I not? Mean, Obviously. You know. <laughs> right? That's a cosplay, right? I, yeah. I mean, it might be a little difficult to swim in, but... That's no, fine. It would flow. That's <laughs> true. It's fine. It can just be a dressy scuba suit and gorgeous you get that yeah. no resistance, gorgeous yeah. mug gown. No pun. No pun. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I think... Um, I really wasn't sure about how I was going to feel about her kind of in the beginning um, when, like, we first meet her. And she's kind of a little bit hard to take seriously to me just when she comes in with kind of, like Luke said, these, like, non sequiturs and, like, where did this come from? And then, like, all of a sudden she started saying, you know, very wise things. And I think that that kind of added to Leia's development and her ability to become more confident in her decisions and kind of look at things from a bigger picture and I kind of feel like maybe we all need, like, an Amelin Holdo in our lives. Did she sound mm-hmm. like Luna in the, the audio book? Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah? I bit, think kind of. A little bit. She was spacey. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to She wasn't super out there, you know? It yeah. was, like, held in to a certain extent. But, <laughs> you know. They just made her... Her her voice in in the audiobook was like extremely high pitched. Yeah, like it was kind of dreamy. Yeah, it it was a little dreamy for sure, but it was extremely high pitched, and that's the only reason I said it didn't sound like Luna Lovegood, um, yeah. because Luna does sound differently. And I'm an audiobook nerd; like that's all I listen to. I mean, just audiobooks all the time. So um, I guess it doesn't sound like her, but she definitely. Like you said, she was dreamy and, and, and definitely out there, you know, with, with the way she did, or the way she spoke. Did she have an accent? Mm-mm. No. No British no. accent. Because I feel like... That's fine, though. I feel like a lot of the characters in Star Wars have, like, 
a British accent? Well, they're the enemy, though. No, that's Australian. That Hold was, on, let me get it. All right, let's hear it. Let's try it again. <laughs> or can, I don't think nope. I can. Nope, it's, it won't go away. I'm also okay. going to mute myself. <laughs> if you don't hear it from Michael again, it's because he can't get He's the muted. Australian out of him. Phrasing. <laughs> Phrase. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> wow, that was a good one. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about um, the other character who is very prevalent throughout the novel. Kier. I kind of feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess, where do we start? He comes across as this very dependable, charismatic. Dreamy. I guess Looks dreamy. Looks like Robert Pattinson. He kind of sounds like the whole package, right? <laughs> yeah. I wow. don't know. Ro- Apparently, she based him off of Richard Armitage in um, episode one. Really? Uh-huh. From the internet. That's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Interesting. He was a pilot. Fun fact. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear that. Huh. He was a Nobu pilot. Hmm. You're welcome. Interesting. We well, mm-hmm. I don't know. Did... I don't know, Nate, what what did you think? Were you surprised that there was a budding romance between Leia and Kier, or did you kind of expect that to happen? Uh, to going into the book, I wasn't expecting it. Once the character kind of came in, I was kind of like, okay, this is what they're going to do with that. Um, definitely was not expecting the ending for Kier that happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, we can get into that later. <laughs> um, see, I found... This is something I kind of noticed when I watched Solo for the first time. I found it kind of hard to really get into that romance because I know Leia's just mm-hmm. going off and going to end up with Han. So, like, I compared it to Solo. The same time I watched it the first time with Kira and Han, I kind of had that same feeling, like, I know this isn't going to last. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, Kira became a favorite character after a few rewatches, so maybe Kira would become a better one. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, those were my initial thoughts, so. Yeah, kind of like a, I have a bad feeling about this when they start liking each other. Isn't it odd a little bit that uh, the love interests of Han and the love interest of Leia sound so similar? <laughs> so phonetically, Kira, Kira, that's, yeah. I think it's got to be a coincidence. But uh, yeah. because I think Kira was named Kira in Solo because I, I think George Lucas's original episode seven draft had a character named Kira instead of Ray, but they wanted to like reuse the name in honor of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so maybe Claudia Gray kind of knew that. And that's why she named, made the name so close for Leia's love interest here. That's just a weird little thing that came to me when, um, I love that Nettie brought up, uh, Kira and solo. Cause I love, I love the solo movie. I don't think it gets enough, um, you know, credit or talk mm-hmm. most of the time. Uh, but, I, I like that, you know, I think Nettie kind of said he didn't like it too much because he knows it's it's doomed because obviously we know he's not around by the time of the original trilogy and she ultimately ends up with Han and that's that's doomed in several ways. But uh, I kind of like that tension. <laughs> and again, I, I think it's another example of, uh, you know, Claudia Gray does that well, utilizing the knowledge of the audience to build mm-hmm. to build tension and drama within the story is like, oh, gosh, it's like. It's like when Ahsoka was introduced in the Clone Wars and everyone's like, oh, she's going to die because she's not around Mm -hmm. during Mm -hmm. (laughs) episode three uh, and all of that. So playing with that audience knowledge about what's to come down the road is just a staple in Star Wars. And I think some of the authors do it really well. So I I kind of like the use of that uh, as a storytelling tool, even though we know it ultimately like isn't going to be happily ever after. 
Yeah, I um, I don't know about you, but when I was reading it, because I agree with you guys, we all knew that at some point something was going to happen to him. Um, inevitably, it was, and there were a lot of points throughout the novel where I was like, "Oh, this is it! This is when it happens." Um, I think the one that stands out the most to me is when they're climbing the mountain and they're partnered up, right? And then what happens? Uh, his rope breaks. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is it his rope that breaks? And she tries to catch him and he falls, right? And I was like, oh, this is not when it happens. I was actually surprised that he kind of stuck around through the end because I kind of thought that something was going to happen to him maybe like three-fourths of the way through, and that was going to be like a big thing for Leia, and that was going to kind of change her and kind of be the turning point where she goes from kind of being this naive girl to like somebody a little bit more mature who can make some of those decisions that like your stereotypical queen is supposed to be able to make, right? Um, I don't know if there are any other points that you guys were reading the novel where you were like, oh, maybe this is when something bad happens to him. But yeah, I think ultimately that was the one big one that I saw. But um, did you, okay, oh, sorry, go ahead. So do we want to kind of dig into the, the ultimate twist? And, yes. Because I, I think we could spend a, a lot of time on that. Uh, you know, I, it really caught me off guard. Yes. Uh, that he was going to, to turn Leia in and, and turn the rebellion in. But it is just the brilliance of Claudia Gray, again, playing with what the audience knows about what happens to Alderaan. She gives us a character who puts Alderaan above everything else, and he wants to protect it. And he worries that the leaders of Alderaan, being leaders of the Rebellion, will ultimately doom Alderaan. And he's right. And we as the the audience Mm -hmm. know that. And so he's trying to actually save Alderaan which we know gets blown to smithereens mm-hmm. uh, in episode four. And again, I just can't give enough praise to Claudia Gray because, like I said earlier, I think some of these authors feel a little boxed in by the little sliver of timeline they're given to tell a story in between movies. And she does such a great job of using all the things we know about what comes before and what comes after and, and building tension with it and giving us an interesting story and like another point of view, a certain point of view. Uh, and so like Kier, Kier's sacrifice to me is, is extra, extra bitter because his ultimate goal was, was well-founded. He, Alderaan was endangered by all of this, but at the same time, Leia and her, her parents, you know, felt it was worth it. The risk, the risk was worth it. So I just, uh, can't speak highly enough of, of Claudia Gray's um, the way she m- lays out her plots and ties them into everything. Yeah. Jory. Oh, Jory's muted. <laughs> just kidding. He's back. No, just uh, speaking on what uh, Luke just said um, with here though, <clears throat> this was kind of the first time we kind of talked about this last time, how I don't really guess through books. Um, but this was one of the first ones that I actually did kind of guess at, to myself as I um, read through because it was kind of like, a, okay, how is he going to to perish? And um, I actually did kind of think that he might 
go behind their back. Um, and the only reason I say that is because he kind of hints multiple times throughout the book that mm -hmm. um, it's very dangerous, you know, what they're doing, and that that the um, that the the survival and the future of Alderaan is very important to him. Um, he said it multiple times to Leia, um, even just when he was checking in on her, um, seeing how she's doing and then, you know, seeing how she reacts to certain things. And, and I think they even commented on it a couple of times of, of, you know, he's studying her and she kind of is taken aback at first by, you know, why he's studying her. And then he explains to her, well, I want to see how my future leader um, is going to react to certain things. And so that told me, and even with him mentioning that, that Alderaan means the world to him. I mean, obviously, the world to him. Um, so, I mean, it's it, it, it was something that I kind of saw. I didn't know how it was going to happen. Um, it was something that I just guessed um, that he might end up uh, betraying her in the end. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, now that you say that, there are a lot of other points throughout the story where they're together and she says sh she'll say something or she makes a decision or she'll say she's going to do something and he's like well you have to do that but just because you're queen or do you think that you should be doing that isn't that too dangerous for someone who's going to be queen to do um and it kind of I don't know I didn't really think about it the way that you were saying it that way I just thought that he was trying to get a better understanding of like how her decision making process worked as a friend and not so much as seeing her as the future leader of their planet. Um, so I think that's interesting. I definitely think that that uh, he was kind of doing both at the same time. You know, I think that he definitely had the best intentions with her. Um, but I think when it got too deep and it got to the point of like where he was like, you know, it's either the planet or the rebellion. I think that was when he decided, you know, it's it's our planet. You know, we're gonna we're gonna make it through this. And I have too many people that I love, or, or, or just honestly, you know, he just loves Alderaan. He loves the history of Alderaan. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just came to the point of where he's like, you know, I have to choose. Yeah, the stakes are really high, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Nate, did you um, kind of see this coming, or were you really surprised at the end when we find out that Kier was probably going to turn them in? See, I'm not sure if I saw it coming. I definitely see, oh, hearing everything talking now, I can see why the decision was made and looking back, and I think rereading it would be a really good idea to see all that foreshadowing, um, even in a more depth. Yeah, I, didn't, I definitely didn't fully see it coming and I, I like I everybody's been talking I figured you know Kira would be you know just kind of written off or they'd break up and that was it I wasn't expecting you know to him to die trying to make that set what in his mind was a sacrifice to report that rebellion I definitely didn't see that coming so yeah and the other thing that I thought a lot about when I was reading that particular scene was how Leia a 16 year old child handled that happening because I can just say personally, if that were me and this person that I trusted with all of my deepest, darkest secrets, and then I found out what he was going to do, I probably would have been, mm -hmm. I think, really pissed off or just like super angry that mm -hmm. I trusted this person. But she was the opposite of that. I think she was just sad, right? And that's what's great mm -hmm. about these side stories, Solo, Leia here, 
we're seeing why these people are the way they, yeah. they are. Like, it's so, it's great. People would say, we don't need that. I was one of those people. I don't need a solo movie. But, like, now we know why Han is the way he is. Now we know why Leia is the way she is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it is so great to go back and see that happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. I look at the way that, um, I mean, especially these characters who we know who they are kind of backwards, right? We start with, I guess, late teens, early 20s, Leia, and then we kind of see her kind of, like, jump back to pre-Leia and then jump ahead to older Leia, and we kind of see some of these characters that same way all over the place and I think it's just kind of interesting to fill in the gaps that way and kind of see what happened in between because you can speculate all you want I never would have guessed anything that Claudia Gray had written in this book I'll tell you that um but I don't know any other surprises that happened around maybe towards the end of the novel that kind of caught you guys off guard I'm curious about what people thought of the use of Tarkin I really enjoyed that aspect, and that's one character we haven't touched on mm-hmm. who, who plays a fairly significant role. Uh, it's clear in A New Hope when uh, you know Leia's brought before him uh, that they have a relationship and, and uh, a history of s- something together when, you know, uh, oh, Governor Tarkin, I, I smelled your foul mm-hmm. stench when I was brought on board. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they run into each other a time or two before that. So I think it was great to give some more background uh to that uh relationship and and how menacing and and clever he is yeah dre what'd you think uh that was one of the easter eggs i had written down too luke um tarkin mentioned her um about her talent of finding loopholes and that was something that that um when she when she was able to get the the prisoners on board and bring them bring them home with her um and it was just another little callback or little easter egg of like their future relationship and mm-hmm. so you know, i think you hit the nail on the head right there luke with with just how um they already pre-knew each other they knew they knew of each other and they had a somewhat relationship beforehand yeah did you i wonder go ahead if uh what I struggle with a bit, and I wonder if anyone else struggles with it or has like an explanation for why they think it is. Why did he tip her off that the Empire was going to go to where all the rebel ships were stationed? I can't remember the planet name now, but uh, does anyone have a good theory or did I miss it in the book? Was it was it given as to why he would have given them that warning? I kind of thought that it was just, and I was kind of going to ask, not that specific, but kind of similar. I thought that it was because he suspected that Mm -hmm. she had something to do with the rebellion that was going on, but he wasn't 100% sure. And so he kind of threw that in to see then if anything would happen to, was that a moon or was it a planet? Does anyone remember? I think it was a planet but I might be wrong yeah I kind of think that he wanted to see if anything would change because she was probably the only one that he gave that information to right it's a matter of gaining trust right I mean he's he's wanting information he's tactful and he's making allies so Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a young naive girl um 
the perfect opportunity, I guess. And yeah, it's definitely suspicious that she had involvement or knew of involvement. Yeah, that's a great point, Holly, because now he knows. He figures, oh, we'll get them eventually. They're not much of a threat. He's not worried. You can mm -hmm. see that in A New Hope when people ask him, do you want to evacuate now? You know, And he's like, evacuate in our moment of triumph? You know, he has that arrogance that nothing's going to go wrong. So I think, thank you, Holly, for, for helping me get there on this. Uh, it, it seems like, yeah, he wanted to figure out if she was connected and if he was the only one he, she that if she was the only one he tipped off and then it, the attack was thwarted, he would know that she was. was connected. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I thought. And I kind of, um, and maybe I'm drawing parallels where there aren't any, but like I've said a bajillion times, I'm watching Rebels, and I kind of felt like his patience with trying to either get her to work with him or kind of, like, sway her more towards working with the Empire versus, like, potentially going into the Rebellion kind of came off a little bit, like, Thrawn to me, as we see in Rebels, where he's just, like, very patient, and he kind of watches the Rebels, like, win these little battles, and then he's like, I'll let them go. Mm. Like, that moment kind of seemed to me like we see Thrawn in Rebels, where he's kind of like, I'll give you this little bit of information, because in the end, that's going to be more useful to me than what's actually happening on that planet right now. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting thing. But yeah, Tarkin, um, I don't know. I, this is just me. I didn't really, there were weird moments where like Tarkin kind of seemed like this big, like scary, threatening character. And then there were kind of moments where I just felt like everyone was kind of messing with him. Like, do you guys recall the awkward dinner party? That was everything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, tell me more. I loved every minute of that. What did you I like mean, about that? I thought that was hilarious. I mean, the whole family pretending that Bale is having some kind of affair with Mon Mothma was just genius. I I loved it. And they were trying to get him drunk the whole time. Oh. Do you think he bought it? Um... Maybe a little bit, but I don't think he's that dumb. He didn't get that drunk. No. So. I don't know no. if he needed to be But that's probably drunk. why he... No. But, like, that's probably why he thought Leia was more involved, really, because she was at that dinner, and Brea brought her into it, mm -hmm. which kind of was a little bit of a mistake, but in the end made it a little bit more believable. I thought he bought it. I really do. Um... I thought actually both times, and granted, maybe I missed something in the way it was told, but I definitely thought that he bought um, what was going on. Um, I think maybe in hindsight afterwards, after the fact, maybe he thought of, you know, maybe I'm being played here, and so that's why he went to Leia. But I think at the mm -hmm. moment, um, I definitely think that he he bought into the story. I mean, it's so awkward. How can you um, <laughs> not... I mean, I might be giving him too much credit, but I would buy that and I would um, get out of that immediately because that's the most awkward situation I can imagine. Yeah, I just, that whole scene, to me, I was like, oh my God, when is this going to end? It's so cringeworthy. I like how he scolds him, or he scolds them too. Like, you know, like he's their, their father and, you know, he's the grandpa at the table of like, what the hell is going on here, people? Like, get your stuff together and let's, you know... <laughs> 
it, it was it was actually to me it was slightly comedic just because like mm-hmm. I could see you know somebody's grandpa you know <laughs> telling everybody to get their get their act together and and uh, you know <laughs> and just storming out. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I didn't really feel like he bought it, but then if if he actually did buy it, then I guess like I know that we talk sometimes on the podcast about how like the droids are very much underestimated um, and they kind of like get to do whatever they want. And no one ever like questions them. Like I know like in Rebels, like Chopper will like go up and like open things and let people in like right under everybody's noses. And I kind of feel we see in this book that Tarkin kind of does, I guess, then the same thing with you know, Leia and the younger people, he doesn't take them seriously, which I think ultimately is, yes, going to be his downfall. Jory? Oh, Oh, he's muted. muted. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's another really good segue into something, um, another Easter egg um, of a possible R2-D2 mention. Um, and we're not mm-hmm. sure it was never really confirmed. Um, but when Leia was talking to a certain astromech droid, um, and that she gave a special task to, and then she mentions that the droid has a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, they never say R2 and they never, you know, give his call out. But, um, I think we all kind of agreed that it was probably R2. Yeah. Nate, you're nodding a lot. Did you think that was R2 when you were reading that? Oh, yeah, definitely. See, I even went back after they started, like, describing its personality to, like, reread the description of its colors. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how too. <laughs> and I think C-3PO was mentioned, too, at one point, wasn't he? Oh, he was so, there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Captain Antilles is there, too, and we know they belong to him. Yep. So I definitely, not a doubt in my mind, that's how too there. Yeah. It's funny because in this novel, we also get a mention of Obi-Wan, um, mm-hmm. right? I don't know, Jory, if you had that, I guess... He's directly mentioned, so maybe that's not so much an Easter egg. Um, but we learned that at this point in time, Princess Leia does know who Obi-Wan is, right? Yeah, we do. And we get a lot of just little mentions of people throughout. Um, I mean, obviously Palpatine is, is mentioned. Um, Darth Vader is mentioned. Anakin Skywalker is even mentioned uh, at one point in the book. There's a lot of mentions of characters that we know. Um, I didn't put them in my list, but you're right, Holly, that that they do get just like the little nods um, that people of the galaxy or at least people um, in government know who they are. Um, and obviously Leia would know, too, because certain those certain people would be probably talked uh, about by Bale or, or Brea um, throughout the you know throughout her life. They mentioned several times that uh, Leia, I think, listens to a lot of stories from. Uh, bail because like uh, like Jory and, and uh, Holly were just saying um, she knows about all these these other figures in the galaxy I think because Bale has talked to her a lot about everything he's experienced uh, you know before she was born even and one of my very last Easter eggs I have noted that we haven't touched on is uh, she tells Kier about a story that her dad told her uh, which is an episode of the Clone Wars. I think it's season one, the, the season finale. It's when Cad Bane uh, takes a bunch of the senators hostage. She tells uh, Kier that story in one of the parts of the book as well. So I think that all is to you know, show that she is sat at, at Bale's knee and heard 
so many stories about what he's experienced and that's how I think she has a lot of the background of what's happened in the galaxy that's that led to the empire and uh, how she knows, you know, in the famous recording from A New Hope, you know, you served my father in the Clone Wars. She knows some of that, yeah. that Clone Wars history through those stories from Bale. Yeah. Um, I kind of would have liked to have sit in on some of those stories. I know yeah. that I've said I've had a kind of a hard time getting into the Clone Wars, um, but I don't know. I just feel like those would have all been good ones, and you have to like wonder who else she heard stories about. I mean, people that maybe she doesn't even know like play a huge role in her life. I would imagine. Um, something else that I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess this could be considered an Easter egg. I kind of feel like Claudia Gray slips so much into these novels that it's just so easy to get carried away and like, oh, here's this reference and that reference. But I think one really big reference that we haven't talked about yet is. Um, when Claudia Gray kind of alludes to Leia being force sensitive, mm-hmm. um, I kind of feel like that was a really big point in the book. And I know I kind of talked about that scene already, um, but it's the scene where her and Kira are partnered and they're climbing up that cliff, right? And she talks about, you know, in this moment that other people, especially me, because I'm terrified of heights, would have been freaking out about um, falling down the side of a mountain. She said that she felt very centered um and calm and kind of like just somehow like what did she say kind of like the mountain or like what to do was kind of speaking to her she just knew what to do and like where to go in that moment um I don't know Jory what did you think about that when you hit that scene were you surprised to see that she wrote about maybe Leia having kind of this sense of the force I think even a couple times throughout um you know she just gets like senses about people that um, we, I kind of attribute, or that I kind of contributed to her, her powers with the force. Um, but I definitely agree with you, Holly, on in, in that particular moment. Definitely, um, I think that Claudia does just a fantastic job with, with anything she writes about, and and kind of tying those little things in. Um, and, and I definitely agree in in that moment. Um, it was spot on. Yeah, I think something that we kind of miss in the movies a little bit is her actually using the Force, which I think was something that I really liked in um, The Rise of Skywalker is when we kind of get to see that flashback of Luke kind of training Leia. Um, I thought that that was really special. Um, so I was kind of excited when I got to read this point. I definitely think that, um, and, and even with how they kind of explain it in the book too, um, or, or even throughout the, her biggest powers in the force. I mean, since she stopped training, you know, to actually with, with the fighting side of the force, I think she gets the feelings, Mm -hmm. um, about people and, and, and if they are lying to her or, or a sense of, of direction. And I think that she uses the force in different ways that we don't always attribute to Jedi, um, and so I think that um, it's always very subtle, but I think that uh, I think that's the way that the Force works through her the best. And that's such a new canon age kind of perspective of the Force, and that it's not just wielding lightsabers and lifting rocks. Yeah. It's 
you know, yeah, did she even know she was using this power? Kind of like I'm sure Ray experienced throughout mm-hmm. her life. She didn't really know it. It's always been there. But, and yeah, it helped her in politics. Now, in Bloodlines, you'll see that she states kind of definitively that she didn't want to continue training because it she didn't want that to be influenced on how she was going to um, not gain power, but gain respect and, and, and gain authority. So it's... That, that's a great point, Joy. That's such a such. She, she may not even know she's using it, but it is inherently the force that's kind of guiding her through those conversations and and those feelings. And she may not even know that she's doing it. And it's why it's great looking back on these adventures and saying like, "Whoa, wow! She is. She was she embracing the force fully there, and she didn't even know it." Super cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that part a lot. Um, but was there anything else that really surprised you in this novel, Jory? <laughs> I have two more Easter eggs Let's that I thought em. were pretty awesome. Um, so when Leia, I forget where she exactly was at, but she was spying on a senator that she thought was kind of a dirty uh, dirty senator, and um, he was making a deal with a white coat, and it was for uh, Quadanian steel, and we know that that is for the Death Star. And, um, and he was only... Re- referred to as the director and i think that this is director krennic mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys thought the same but uh i think that that was a, a little cool easter egg as well and here's a spoiler for bloodlines so <laughs> um so since holly hasn't read it that's okay i think that this was i i'm glad actually that this one wasn't brought up because i think that this is the coolest one that claudia gray has done um and so in Bloodlines, um, there was a, uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, Holly, okay, but basically you there's, there's a keepsake box that, that Leia has. And uh, in the keepsake box, uh, a certain character opens it. I won't mention the name of the character because that'll kind of ruin it for you. Um, but a certain character opens it who is not supposed to open it. And... Uh, it has that piece of Kier's hair that mm. she put into the keepsake box in this book. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really little throwaway line that you wouldn't even really remember. Um, and I actually happened to uh, find it, figure it out from, from uh, just listening to uh, Bloodlines recently. But it is Kier's hair. And so it's really cool that she tied these two books together with just a little tiny line that if you had never read um, Leia, uh, you wouldn't know. And it's actually the really cool thing is that Bloodlines was written before this was written. So I don't know if she had like an idea, you know, and she already had something, you know, in that. But uh, I might be incorrect in, in that statement, but I believe Bloodlines was written before this, so it was really cool. Or, no, no, Bloodlines was written after, so the fact that she put this, this away in this box in this book, you know, and then not really knowing, you know, that she was going to in the future write this, you know, write this book for it was it's just pretty mind-blowing in the way that Claudia Gray works. Yeah, I think... Um... <laughs> oh. 
little now baby we got elder. A little baby elder on screen. <laughs> uh, first broadcast appearance. Uh, that's adorable. Uh, stealing the spotlight. Sorry, Jory. Um, but yeah. I think um, Luke actually had mentioned how Claudia Gray will kind of throw in scenes from one novel that she wrote into another novel, too. Um, Luke, we were just talking about how um, in Bloodlines, there's a scene where a certain character who you missed it, but we're not naming it so that I don't get the book spoiled, but how a certain character opens up Leia's keepsake box and finds Kier's hair in it. Um, And there was another scene that you were mentioning that was in another Claudia Gray novel about the ball with the um, Imperial officers and the um, apprentice legislatures, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I'm trying to talk without my daughter fully waking up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there's a, uh, a scene in Lost Stars with that ball, and uh, it's told from the perspective of the characters in that book who are Imperial military cadets, and they get to meet Leia at the ball. Um, and it's the same ball that we see in in this book, but we don't get that scene repeated. Um, but we know, uh, or you can tell it's from the same the same event. And I thought that was a really cool touch how she's she's not only obviously clearly tied in with the rest of canon, but her own Claudia Gray canon in that way. Yeah, I think that that's pretty cool how she's tying it all together. Well, and I'm sure when she was writing Bloodline, she was developing ideas for what got Leia to this point. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, throw that little nugget in there. We'll talk about it Leia, later. Leia. Leia. L- later. Uh, there's much more story to tell. So, yeah, I'm sure she's has all these little points she's wanted to hit on for a while and just finally got to kind of write it out. But I just picture her, like, sitting in her office, like, typing and then, like, laughing to herself and being like, I'm going <laughs> to throw this in and we'll yeah. see who pays attention. Seriously. I would do that. I that feel like we're fun. on a Claudia Gray kick right now it almost makes me feel like we just need to finish them we'll see okay yeah it feels like it it feels like that's where we're going are you picking the next book i feel like i should all right uh, we'll get there you all heard it here first um i kind of feel like the last point um that i had that i really wanted to touch on um sorry to finish this up on a dark note but we all know what happens to alderaan um I feel like there are a lot of points throughout this novel where Breha continues to tell Leia, like, Alderaan is your home. Your home will always be here. Um, I guess we were talking about that ball, and I think that the one one part she's kind of debating whether she wants to go to this ball or not, right? And Breha kind of convinces her to go, and she says, um, your home will always be here and I kind of feel like there's a lot of times throughout the novel where they're just like definitively saying like this is your home it will be here you can always come home and I kind of feel like that made me very sad because ultimately we know what happens right and I know we kind of touched on this but did you guys pick up on that and kind of get this kind of like sadness when you were reading through the novel page I mean it kind of like was like beating over your head like her like last line of the novel is like that's like the one thing the empire can't take away i'm like well actually (laughs) give it a little time they're gonna blow up your planet um i mean yeah it's her whole life is just 
sad. I mean, she doesn't even know. She has no idea how sad it actually is before she was even born. You know, it was a nightmare situation. Um, so I think that's, I think that was a good thing to include. Um, she has no idea she has a brother, like a twin, who also is uh, going through a similar not-so-great situation um, on a desert nightmare planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was a good thing to include, but I don't know. I kind of wanted her to have, like, a nice, happy childhood without, like, the tinge of sadness. That would have been nice. Yeah, and we didn't really get to see, like, that she had, I mean, we kind of pick up a little bit as we're reading where she's kind of nostalgic for the way that her relationship with her parents was before Mm -hmm. she doesn't understand what's happening, but before they kind of got involved with this resistance that was going on, right? Mm -hmm. But even then, you don't really feel like she got this happy childhood that she got to spend with friends instead of, like, a droid that was taking care of her while, like, going on diplomatic missions. So, Yeah, the Alderaan moment, in a new hope is so i don't know it it just there's not a lot of weight to it yeah you know and then part of that's just the production at the time like and the quality there but it felt like they were trying to add a little more weight to that and that you know but also add to the resiliency of the character that she did lose a lot though you don't see her react much in the movie it this place really meant a lot to her and, and had been really ingrained into her. And just to add a little more weight to that moment, because it's not that believable. And like I said, a lot of that's just the quality of the production at the time. <laughs> but I mean, it's an entire planet being destroyed. It's so uh, you want to add a well, little. Well, everyone more. reacts to trauma differently. That's true. You know, that's true. That's true. And she had to in that moment, you know, that's, that's to really mm-hmm. show her resiliency. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, like, the whole time I was just like, oh, my God, you don't even know. You don't know what's about to happen. I feel so sorry for you. But I don't know. Nate, um, when you were reading this, did you kind of think, um, as you were seeing how, like, proud she was of her planet and how much she talked about how beautiful her planet was and how she loved it so much, can you kind of see how when she was also building these strong relationships with the other people in the rebellion or people who were about to maybe join the rebellion like Holdo how she kind of transferred those feelings of home from like her planet to just like the group of people that she was with because I kind of feel like that's important I I think that's a very good point yeah that she definitely kind of yeah changes her sense of home and what's important um and going back to the the whole Q situation you know Q is willing to put that planet that home above the greater good of the galaxy but leia doesn't make that mis- i don't know if i want to call it a mistake doesn't make that choice and puts the galaxy above her home and ultimately pays the price so yeah that's a very good point about how well they emphasize what the planet means to her. So yeah i i just i that was probably seeing like that end quote that Paige just brought up which i think you pretty much quoted it directly she said my parents my friends my world these are the things the empire can never take away and i kind of feel like when she started with like my parents my friends she put so much more emphasis on the people as opposed to like the planet itself and so i kind of feel like that just kind of like encouraged her to continue working for the greater good of the galaxy like nate said as opposed to just like her one singular planet but any yeah page 
I don't, I didn't get the sense that she had a lot of friends before she joined the, like, pathfinding group and the apprentice legislature, but I think that was just me. Like, I thought she was more friends with, like, people in the palace. I didn't think she had friends, like, her own age. Like, really, I don't think she did, which I thought was really, really sad. Yeah. I agree completely. I think that, you know, she even kind of mentioned in the book that, um, that, a lot of the kids that she played with, like she'd play with them a little bit, but then it there wasn't a lot of uh, a bonding in there, mm-hmm. um, and that she bonded mostly with her parents and her parents' work, and the people of the palace and her droids, um, <clears throat> or even she mentions I think she has a dozen uh, tutors. You know, she probably made bonds with all of those people, but but the the children of Alderaan, I mean, I think she loved her planet, but I don't know that she had a lot of personal, real tight bonds with anybody in particular that, I mean, other than Kier, um, that, you know, was notable. Um, and once again, I don't want to sound like she didn't love her planet because she definitely did, but there was no, like, there was no Han for her on on mm-hmm. Alderaan there was you know it was it was just uh she loved her planet she loved the people on the planet but but nothing that really you know connected the, to keep her I'm going to use my NPR voice for the rest of the podcast <laughs> as I'm holding a six-month-old who's asleep hopefully you can still hear me uh, I want to jump in on this one a little bit I think uh it's a common theme in fiction that involves royalty that it's yeah, or any leader it's it's isolating to be a leader to be royalty think of the classics um first kid was a movie that came out when i was like eight nine years old about the the president's uh-huh. kid couldn't find any friends you know classic movie there. richie rich that's uh, another one <laughs> <laughs> so in uh if I could do a little elsewhere in canon segment really quick, yes. um, if you want to like keep diving into Leia beyond the movies, there's obviously Bloodline, which we've talked a lot about from Claudia Gray, and then there's a like a five comic run of Leia early in the new canon days that is not my favorite as I really started to dive into more of the comics, but. Um, has an interesting premise, and that's right after A New Hope, and she's trying to uh, sort of bring together any Alderanians who were not on the planet when it was destroyed because the Empire wants to wipe them out, and she's trying to protect them, so that's kind of an interesting premise. And then um, in addition to that, I might have lost my train of thought. I thought I was going to... Oh, the... uh, from a certain point of view novel, you know, Mike, you were saying uh, the scene happens so quickly where Alderaan is destroyed in New Hope and there's not much of a pause on that moment. There's a, a great um, short story in a certain point of view called Eclipse and it's from the point of Brea, uh, Organa, and Bale when the Death Star destroys Alderaan and it's it's really beautifully written and uh, it's like sort of adds more of that weight that Mike said was missing. Absolutely. God, that's a good Not one. to be uh, confused with Twilight. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Also, another great <laughs> that's series. That's also great. Right? Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank <laughs> we were you. doing a well, Twilight podcast, right? Yeah, that I feel like we'll bleed into that after midnight. Um, a new hope, new dawn. Yeah, a new dawn, a new hope. That's I don't the know. name of the podcast. Yeah, uh, but Luke's right because Palpatine even comes from wealth, and in his in Darth Plagueis, which is not canon, though make it canon, uh, Disney, uh, he even is isolated and you know doesn't get along with his family, and it's just yeah that that royalty brings isolation and. Sometimes it ends badly, um, but yeah, that's that's a great point from Luke or Seth Avit. I'm not sure who we have here. <laughs> he unfortunately didn't hear that comment, um, but he's looking like Seth Avit there on the camera. If you can see him holding the child, uh, sorry, ladies, he's not single. He gone. Um, he's he gone. gone. Uh, I'm just happy that Luke isn't the only one dealing with oh. kid issues right now because mine's about to wake up. Might have to. Pulling Luke Elder. And well, I feel like I need there. a baby. I'm going to hold the dog <laughs> or something. I, I, like, she was behind you. Babies. Everybody, you Seriously. Seriously. Well, <laughs> not for Paige. <laughs> hold, the, hold Loki behind you and just pick him up yeah. and swaddle she would him. Hold, she would hold Loki. <laughs> I would. I'd be into it. Amen. Swaddle him like Amen. a child. He can don't, swaddle don't, make hey. <laughs> don't make it weird, Holly. Don't make it weird. Um... Anything else that you guys feel like we didn't touch on that you guys wanted to talk about? Because I, I feel like we went over a lot. I feel like there's so much in this novel to dissect. It's kind of hard. I mean, I had two little Easter eggs. I'm sure you don't want to get into the whole um, Leia as a parent thing uh, since we are 21. I'm sure you don't want to get into that. Well, um, you know, we're here. We can. If people don't want to listen, I they can, can just skip. I can, I can get into it, um, but I have two little easter egg things that i wrote down um so when she's talking to the um Chalhuddins, uh the negotiations are kind of similar to um padme's negotiations with boss nas in um episode one yeah. i thought that was interesting yeah um and then when and luke's not here for that so like okay <laughs> <laughs> slam yeah yeah um and then uh, when she's talking with Amelyn, I think when they're doing like the weird scarf exercise, exercises, yeah, I don't know. Um, she says uh, Amelyn makes a comment to her, uh, and she says um, she mentions a comment about um, a pair of pretty dark eyes, mm-hmm. and um, Luke actually makes a similar comment. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> to Ray in an alternate scene from Last Jedi, yeah, um, about Ben. So mm-hmm. interesting. I'm just yeah. saying it's in the Skywalker blood. Interesting. I'm just saying. So, because you you're think welcome. about it, you're like Claudia Gray probably didn't have that many details. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a great point. Is she but writing like a word movie? For word, um, you know, that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, she actually may have gotten access to the script at some point, and that would have been a part of it since it was deleted. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they may they may give the authors those scripts like that. I mean, it is like like Luke said, it's a journey to Star or uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah. So they're gonna give them the yeah. plot points, and and that probably I mean is a big plot point in that movie where um, Luke kind of freaks out, and I'm sure she saw the yeah. unedited version. Paige, those are really great yeah. insights because I feel like there was so much to read and there were so many little things to pick up on 
in this novel that it's hard to get them all the first time that you read it. Mm-hmm. Nate, was this your first time reading this? Yeah, this is my first time. See, so you're in the same boat that I was. I feel like some of these yeah. things that, like, Paige, Luke, and Jory were able to pick up on, like, I did not pick up on them. Um, but that's just me. That's why it's great having a book I got club. I got yeah. them the second time, so it's okay. See? Yeah. Yeah. So beneficial. That's what book club's for. We, um... <laughs> I think Michael and I were joking the other day about how Claudia Gray, she's like so good with the way she builds things up and the way that she writes these characters. We're like, just write a script Please. or write a TV show. She can give us more hold yeah. mm-hmm. I would like that. Here's a petition I into it. for Claudia mm-hmm. Gray to pitch a hold series for Disney Plus. Wow, it may be done. Mm-hmm. And, are they gonna... and make it queer, you know what I'm saying? See? Yeah. Uh, make it uh, queer. And we get Luna Lovegood or whatever her name is to play, yeah. to play uh, Holdo. You think that I'm actress sure. would probably actually make a really good Holdo? That's that's probably what, true. Do yeah. you guys know Paige? Do you remember Ivana Lynch? Yes, thank there you. I knew Paige would know. There it is. I think that she I got really that good. useless information. <laughs> She's got it up there. <laughs> I love it. Well, guys, anything else about um, Leia that really stood out to you or that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to mention? I think um, Leia's probably one of those books that I would want to read a second time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm also curious now that we've been talking about it to get in the bloodline, which bloodline is on my list. I think it was, uh, I don't have my phone, but I wrote my list on my phone and it actually might've been the book that I wanted to read for the month of April. Bloodline, Lost Stars. I mean, keep going with the Claudia Gray. I'm just saying, um, if we are into Rebels, there is um, a Kanan and Hera book. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, it's so good. I have to finish Rebels just before I read to, that, though. I, I'm just saying, I've read it. And <laughs> it's, 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 it is good. Look, there are many books to read, and there are many months. I know so that. that one's going on the aware. list. Amen. I haven't finished Bloodline, so, like, I have no idea. I Let's started go. it when it came out, and I haven't finished it, so. That's right. So, see, it's more of a reason to add it to the list. Nate, have you read Bloodlines? I have, yes. Okay. So, this may potentially be your second time. Right. That's right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Luke, any any final thoughts on uh, Leia? Check it out. Give it a read. <laughs> You've heard it here, folks, from Seth Avid himself. Uh, on the mic. Well, thanks guys for joining us. I think despite all the technical difficulties that we had, I think this yeah. turned into being a really good conversation. Um, so thanks for sticking with us. I blame it, it on the coronavirus. I mean, I feel like they're buffering internet speeds right now. I feel like, you know, things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an uncertain time and so is your internet. You just never know you what's going to yeah. happen. We don't have the antivirus software to pick that up for the Macs anyway. That was a really funny joke, Holly. That was really good. That was a nice uh, virus joke. I liked Thank it. You. But actually, you do have Bitdefender on your computer, so that was an untrue joke. Well, I tried. It was worth the effort, guys. Well, thanks again for joining us. Um, we had a really great time, and I might have to give Leia a second read, and I'll let you guys know if I do that down the line and if I pick up on any of those. Um, But as always, thanks for the insight and thanks for the commentary. And we will see you guys next time.